Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What time is it? Science time! Sorry. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Manisha. Yes, it is science. Well, for, for certain values of, of science. My name is Chris, and this week I'm going to be talking about a recent controversy from the UK where it emerged that certain water companies in the 21st century are using dowsing to find water, so water divining. Um, yeah, so I'm going to have a bit of a look at that, what's actually going on there, and why this supposed water dividing, what actually makes people think that they can detect water. What is their psychological or the, the mechanism that's going on there? It's the magic stick, isn't it? Yeah. It's the magic yeah. stick, the little, yeah. The, the Y stick. The wobbly yeah. stick, yeah. 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 Or, the, or the tent thing. Case tent closed. Tanks. Yeah, or the pendulum even. <laughs> yeah. That you're dangling over a map and it tells you. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stu, what have you got for us? Um, well, I know maybe some people in Australia are bored of the flies, but... I looked into them and discovered that there's more to be found about flies than we ever possibly considered before. Um, Basically, that they're really disgusting. But I'll tell you how disgusting they are later in the show. Great. And Claire? Well, I have got a story for you, and it's going to ruin some people's festive season. Turns out glitter is bad for the environment. But great Bumper. for parties. But great for parties. But it bad makes for me the environment. Good. But great for parties. So parties are bad for the environment is what you're saying. <laughs> so parties are bad for your <laughs> Thanks, health. science. Certain, certain political parties, definitely. Um, I'm going to look at why um, and some alternatives to that you can buy to keep the fun but also help the environment. Right. Well, stay tuned with shiny, sparkly, filthy, magical episode <laughs> of Lost in Science. All right. Yes, you are listening to Lost in Science. My name is Chris. And Stu, are you familiar with water divining or dowsing? I, I am. I, I have uh, come across this many times. You know, being being a horticultural scientist, knowing where water is is often a useful uh, thing to know. Oh, so do, do you have you applied this practice? No, of course not. Are you are you aware that people still are applying this practice? I am, I am aware that people in the world do this, and in fact, there was a there was a uh, Russell Crowe movie a couple of years ago called oh, The Water was, Diviner, and was he was that. he was a professional dowser in the outback somewhere, and oh, went off him. to find his son in the First World War or something, something you know. Well, yes. whatever the story was, had nothing to do with him being a water diviner. Just sounded like a cool title for a movie, I suppose. Well, as um, as someone who, <clears throat> who keeps in track with um, pseudoscience and, and those kind of things, I'm sure you're aware of the recent controversy coming out of the United Kingdom that where it was revealed that water companies there actually still do use dowsing. Look, I am, and and the first thing I'm surprised about is that they admitted to it because because I would have hoped that the water company would know where the water was because they put it there. If only it were that simple. <laughs> oh no! Look, I think I think one of the things they're talking about doing is finding like leaks, for instance. Yeah. Like if you know there's a leak in a pipe, then finding out where the the water is getting out and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look for the wet spot. And basically, that's and how you know it works. maps and plans aren't totally 
accurate necessarily? Oh, look, and, you know, to be quite honest, in the UK, there's probably sewerage systems that date back hundreds of yeah. years, potentially, yeah. in some places. So it's, you know, it's not that outrageous, yeah, really, yeah. that they don't really know where all of their but the infrastructure fact, is. But the fact they're relying on magic is what's concerning. Now, this all started with uh, science writer Sally Lepage, who, uh, whose parents noticed an engineer from the local water company walking around their property with a pair of bent tent pegs, as they described it. So she basically tweeted at a bunch of water companies out of uh, 12 companies in the United Kingdom, 10 of them confirmed, yes, they still use dowsing. And they seemed kind of unsurprised that anyone would question this. Now, it seems, look, it's hard to gather from, I've had a look at all the responses. It's hard to gather exactly what's going on here. I think um, it sounds like you've got a lot of sort of people who work in the field, uh, literally, believe in this practice. And perhaps you've got a lot of kind of friendly PR folk running the Twitter account who... You know, I just try and think it's all a big joke and don't really understand what the issue is. But, uh, yeah, look, it's it's really interesting this is happening in the year 2017. It's it it's quite surprising that this is still a thing, I think. Yeah. Because can you explain, Chris, what 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 does the process of dowsing look like if someone's oh. actually practising the, the ancient art? Well, there's a couple of... I mean, the, the, you know, there's the old one where you have basically a forked stick and you hold the end of the stick and the stick will, will wobble or point down when you pass over water. Um, but the most sort of professional techniques in the old, like, two bent metal rods, they're kind of in cylinders so they can rotate freely and you hold them in your hands and the idea is when you walk over water then they will kind of swivel around. Now, uh, yes, look... I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, I think it's an interesting phenomenon that people will still believe in this. And there's like a lot of cultural things going on here that um, I don't really go into because, you know, we're a science program. But I don't think we need to go too much into the science of, of why DAOs doesn't work because obviously it doesn't work. I mean, it's been proven wrong many times as well. Yeah. Um, it is one of the most tested kind of studio science things. When they do these psychic challenges, there often be dowsing challenges simply because I think there are two reasons. I think because the people who do dowsing um, are generally fairly friendly people. They don't make a lot of money for it. They've got nothing much to lose. They also think that what they're doing is unremarkable and they believe in it. So they're willing to go in these sort of challenges. Um, and also it is very easy to test whether it's right or not. You basically, you know, see whether they can detect where there, whether there is water. And that's a pretty easy test to do. Uh, from a scientific purpose, I think one of the, one of the other things about uh, about finding water, though, too, is that if you dig deep enough in pretty much every location, you will hit water at some point. This is true. There yeah. is a water table yeah. under the surface of the soil, so if you, you know, if if you're willing to you know prove that your dowsing actually works, you just keep digging until you <laughs> until you hit water. <laughs> Yeah, so look, I mean, there is, yeah, there is, that's, I guess, can explain their, their supposed success. But um, I think what I want to talk about was what is the mechanism behind dowsing. So which, how does how does the appearance of it working yeah, actually work? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is something that's often referred to as the idiomotor effect. Um, now, not, not the idiot motor effect. No, idiot idio motor effect. Yep. Um, now, I I looked up to see what I could get a good definition of it. Um, I found something from the American Psychological Association, uh, basically saying there are two aspects to it. There is kind of um, there is something called it basically it's when you have an unconscious action or an unintended action, I suppose. And there is perceptual induction, which is basically when you see someone doing something and you kind of do the movements yourself. Um, which you can so probably you, you relate kind to. Of, you kind of mirror what they're doing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then there is intentional induction in which people kind of perform movements 
that will achieve what they want to see. So this is the kind of things behind, uh, say, the Ouija board. Yeah. Where people basically, um, they will think the thing is moving to make an answer, the little pointer, but all it's doing is that they are, they're moving it themselves. They just don't feel that they're moving it. Uh, now, I thought we'd try and demonstrate this today. I've given you a piece of equipment. This is actually from um, original art science writer um, Sally Lapage. This is her recommended way of testing the idea. Matter of fact, and she claims it works. I tried today. worked for me. So, Stu, what I've given you is my mobile phone on a charger. Yeah. And what I want you to do is hold it out at arm's length and dangle the phone f- from the charger cord. It'll stay, it'll stay plugged in. And give it a, make, it say, make it start swinging like a pendulum. So basically, we've, we've created a pendulum. Okay, now I'm going to ask you some questions, Stu. Yeah. And what I want is when, uh, if the question answer is yes, then what will happen is the phone will rotate, swinging will rotate uh, clockwise. The answer is no, it'll rotate anti-clockwise. Got that? Okay, yep. So yes is... Yes is what? Clockwise. Yeah, no is anti-clockwise. Yeah. Okay, we're going to see if this works. Uh, now, first of all, first question is, is your name Stu Burns? Yes. It's not really rotating there. It's not rotating. Okay. Uh, we'll try this again. Um, do you like plants? Remember, yes. Um, clockwise, the answer is yes. It is actually moving It is starting to rotate. You clearly, you like, maybe we were honest about that first question. Oh, right, let's try another one. Um, <laughs> do remember, I have a secret name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, that was definitely going anti-clockwise. Okay, let's try another one. Um, uh, remember, so it's anti-clockwise, but the answer is no. Do you believe in dowsing? It's, it's going clockwise. No, I want you to answer the question and say what uh, you say. I, no, I don't. Okay. How is it? Is it still going clockwise or is it starting to it's, change direction? It's, it's kind of changing direction. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Maybe this is, maybe something else is going on here. So do, you, um, do you have psychic powers? No. No, it's, it's slowing right down is what it's doing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got some good response there. Certainly responded yes to you, um, you liking plants. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, and but as as you know, it's it's quite obvious that I I may have I was definitely moving. I'm not yeah. able to hold my arm extended yeah, for that yeah. length of time without moving somewhat. So, yeah, I, I was obviously uh, uh, affecting the um, the outcome. Yeah, yeah. I guess it is. Um, you can try this at home yourself, but it's an easy reproducible phenomenon. It kind of is a bit of fun, obviously, but then um, it can have serious consequences. I mean, obviously, in the case of your water diviners, you could not find the leak or find or you know, dig a hole and, and create a leak. That could be bad. But there are some other ones as well, like um, idiomotor effect is believed to be one of the uh, theoretically, it's one of the uh, mechanisms behind something called facilitated communication. Uh, I won't go into that in too much detail because it's highly controversial. But this is where people with severe communication difficulties, someone basically holds their hand while they push buttons on a keyboard to help them type out a message. It, yeah, it's, whether it's actually a, a real communication or it's an idiomotor thing on behalf of the facilitator is a controversial thing. Most um, studies seem to indicate that it is actually the facilitator who's doing the communicating. Um, Again, I won't go into it because it does seem to be quite controversial. Speech Pathology Australia, essentially, look on their website, they have information about this and saying, yeah, their studies seem to show that it is a facilitator that's doing it. And you've got to be very careful from an ethical consideration that you're not misrepresenting the person's communication. Um, Another serious consequence of the idiomotor effect was um, 
a British businessman, James McCormack, who in 2013 was um, sentenced for fraud for selling bomb detectors to Iraq. Uh, he made millions of dollars sell- sending selling fake bomb detectors that essentially they were based on these cheap novelty golf ball detectors he bought from America. Um, and he sold them like they, they were like worth 20 bucks and he sold them for $5,000 and he made millions out of this. Um, thanks a lot to government corruption, I think. But um, yeah, they were basically just a little rotating dousing antenna effectively. Um, believed to have caused hundreds of deaths and yes, he was sent to, to jail for that. So look, it sounds like these things sound like a bit of fun, but they can be misused as can any pseudoscience. And um, yeah, I think we should just... Uh, this is why we don't use witchcraft and and maybe, magic anymore. And maybe the UK water authorities should in, invest in some, you know, sonar technology to find these things under the ground. I think they have those, but yeah, I think they should, yeah, toss out the the dowsing sticks. <laughs> Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Coming to the Australian summer and festive season, we are all likely to be spending a lot more time outdoors, eating and drinking and socialising with other people. Would you, would you would that be part of your plans, Chris? I, I you know, uh, yes, probably, yeah, yeah. I imagine out in the sun, a bit, a bit of a bit of a barbecue, perhaps, maybe. Yeah, something like that, something like that. At least one in the next couple of months. A picnic, dare yeah, I say. a picnic could be. But being outdoors in the Australian summer also means spending time with less welcome guests. Uh, they arrive uninvited. Invited, they arrive uninvited. They gorge on our food without asking. They don't clean up after themselves. And frankly, they make us sick. I am, of course, talking about flies. Oh, I was really worried where that was going there, Stu. House flies and blowflies are a permanent fixture of Australian life. And there's basically no getting rid of them, or we'd literally be up to our armpits in crap in no time. Well, this is what they eat. One of the All things right. that they eat. Um, if you happen to be eating, uh, maybe you want to turn down the radio for a little bit because this story is pretty disgusting. Uh, the housefly, known as Muscus domestica, is found everywhere in the world that humans live. And along with its cousins, the blowflies, various species of blowflies, including the beautifully named Eastern Golden Haired Blowfly, which is also known as Califora stygia. Is it beautiful? Well, it does have golden hair, yes, but, you know, it's a hairy blowfly. It's kind of a bit gross. Um, and I'm pretty, fo- I'm pretty sure the uh, the Stygia in its uh, name comes from... Death. Yeah, the River Styx. Or yeah. The, yeah, the Stygian River in which you cross to uh, to die. So the, the little children of all these flies feed on rotting organic matter. And some of the maggots, which is the babies of flies, prefer plant matter and other organic material. But mostly they will eat all sorts of rotting material, including feces and, of course, dead flesh. And they actually heat up the material they consume. This is an interesting fact that maggots feeding can actually raise the temperature of what they're feeding on to about 50 degrees Celsius if there's enough of them. That is very hot. That is quite hot. You yeah. would definitely notice if there you was... think that would kill them. Um, yeah, no, they actually thrive in those conditions. Wow. The warmer it is, the quicker they grow. 
so while they're feeding, yeah, they they can raise the temperature up to up to about f- over fifty degrees Celsius, and then they emerge as adults after about three weeks of feeding as maggots. Depending on the species, they slightly different time frames. Uh, but this is when they really start bothering people. And of course, it is stomach churning to find uh, fly larva in food stuff. But the flying adults are more likely to annoy us on a daily basis, pretty much. Um, of course, this can be a problem for our health. And when preparing and eating food outdoors, the flies will always be able to find us. And then they'll just help themselves, generally speaking, because... The maggots do most of the eating in the life cycle of a fly, but the adults like to have a little bit of a snack as they're flying around. Uh, And also, they're looking for somewhere to lay their eggs often, which is why they land on the food. So, yeah, if you leave them there long enough, they'll do more than just have a little taste. But if you, if you know, if they lay their eggs, then... Presumably, it's going to take a while for the maggots to come out. Oh, absolutely. They they won't hatch immediately, so you won't even see them. You won't even see them, all the little fly eggs there on your your food. We've all been made aware of how it's not good to let flies land on our food, especially considering what they've grown up eating, if you think about... Yeah, if you think about where they've come from. But only recently did scientists figure out exactly how dirty a fly could actually be. Uh, A recent study published in the journal Scientific Reports called The Microbiomes of Blowflies and Houseflies as Bacterial Transmission Reservoirs sets out how filthy they are in reality. The report estimates that a single housefly could be home to over 300 different bacterial species and a blowfly around the same number, close to 700 different bacteria between them. Uh, this is from sampling blowflies and growing out what they sampled off the outside of the flies and growing them up in appropriate growing media. So the hairs on the body of a fly provide perfect conditions for bacteria to survive and also greater surface area to pick up bacteria. So pretty much everything they come in contact with, they're picking up bacteria from the surfaces. And they're also capable of transferring bacteria back onto a surface with every single footstep they take. So they're potentially leaving behind bacteria every time they take a step over your food. And this includes bacteria causing septicemia, gastroenteritis, and even pneumonia. So potentially fatal uh, diseases there that they can actually spread through their little feet touching your uh, your sausage. So it's right to be grossed out by them and not want them flying in your mouth. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You really don't want them anywhere near you. And uh, the researchers concluded that flies may be a cause of much more human disease through the transfer of bacteria than is currently recognised, and they urge health authorities to review their policies on flies because they just found them to be so covered in bacteria that they are causing potentially large amounts of infectious diseases. I find it hard to believe that that our authorities are being too pro-fly, but um, apparently so. Well, look, if the researchers... Maybe the researchers didn't really look into the policy very carefully. I'm pretty sure that most uh, health inspectors would be aware that flies are not a good thing to have in your restaurant or yeah. place of serving food, really. I think I think maybe, yeah, they are aware of that. I suppose this is just saying that perhaps the da- danger is greater than we have thought, I mean, because... They are all around us all the time, and so you kind of think, well, you know, we know it's not good, but I can't remember the last time I got sick from a fly, so... Well, and how do we know? Exactly, there's no, yeah. there's no way to know for sure. And the fact that each one has 300 different bacteria on it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that's actually an effective dose that will make you sick. Mm. But one thing that it does suggest is that it's probably be- best not to leave food uncovered 
for any length of time outdoors or indoors if there's flies. And if you are eating outdoors, definitely don't put that food away. Don't store it after you've have it, had it uncovered outdoors if there's flies around because the chance of it being infected with uh, or, you know, uh, contaminated with bacteria, at least, is very, very high, based on this study. All right, so what are your thoughts on glitter? Do you love it or hate it? Are you ambivalent? I, I I've never t- really thought tend- too hard about glitter. Uh, okay, now that you're thinking about it, maybe maybe you're ambivalent. It's sparkly. It is sparkly. It does make things look nice. I do find it's very difficult to get rid of. Oh, that, that it just stays around, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, you just like, you know, you look in the mirror three days after coming into contact with your face, <laughs> I'm still stuck to your face for some reason. But then you're like, hey, I went to a party, that's cool. Yeah, look, I think or there's I a just... time and a place for glitter. Um, some people think, you know, they wouldn't um, wish a glitter bomb on their worst enemy. What they hate it that What much. about on your school homework when you've done a really good job and a little, little glitter, some, some stars perhaps and that kind of stuff? Yeah, stickers like I are said, fun. Time and a half. Time and a place. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is coming into end of year celebration, so the chances of glitter getting into your life and maybe staying around for a little while longer um, are getting quite high. But not if those pesky scientists have their way. That's right. <laughs> slow, slow down, eggheads. <laughs> um, in the lead up to Christmas, those naysaying scientists are at it again, taking the fun out of life with claims that glitter is environmentally unsafe and um, some of them actually asking for a ban on glitter. Okay. I know, I know. First cigarettes, then sugar, fossil fuels. Now glitter is nothing sacred from the scientists. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? What's next? <laughs> fun. Fun itself? Yeah. yeah. Fun, Ban bad fun. They, they, were, they were talking about banning balloons a while ago. They just don't get yeah, invited yeah. to the right parties, I think. <laughs> They're upset. That's yeah. right. That's right. So pretty much the crux of the argument against glitter is that it is made of plastic. Never really stopped to think what it's made out of, yeah. I know. And neither did I. Um, until I started researching. Yeah, it doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) They don't mine it. The glitter mines. Back to the glitter mines. (laughs) So fabulous. What sort of punishment is that if you really like glitter? (laughs) But it is plastic. It is plastic. And when plastic is less than five millimetres in length, it's called... A microplastic. That's correct, Stuart. It's called a microplastic. Um, now, microplastics have all the same detrimental qualities as normal plastics do, i.e. they take many hundreds of years to break down in the environment. But, except they're smaller. Yeah, except they are smaller and there are other issues associated with microplastics that are to do with their size. Exactly. So, you see, when microplastics, and in this case glitter, get into the oceans, they maintain their pervasiveness and they stick around for a long time. But they also, um, if I can use an unscientific term here, they up the evil. (laughs) They up the evil. (laughs) Yes. In that, well, they act as these, like, little vessels for for toxic substances. Um, So... They get more toxic as they float around in the water. So as microplastics are floating around, they pick up all um, all these sorts of toxic chemicals. So do they actually bind to the toxic chemicals? The, the toxic chemicals bind to them. Right. Like through uh, negative and positive charges. Yeah, yeah, because they've got yeah. electrical charges. I mean, that's that's yeah. part of the reason that that glitter is so sticky 
like it sticks to everything because it's highly charged with static electricity. Yeah. Well, this is this is just around microplastics, mm. not specifically glitter. Mm. But yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, all these microplastics are floating around, picking up all sorts of these toxic chemicals. Some of them then enter the food chain. Um, where they get eaten by fish, which then get eaten by larger fish, which are then eaten by larger humans, um, and then we find ourselves possibly eating these marine microplastics and then getting into our our bodies. Sparkly, sparkly fish. <laughs> sparkly on the inside. Mm. Where you don't want to be sparkly, Chris. You don't want to be sparkly on the inside. Only just metaphorically sparkly on the inside, I think. <laughs> anyway... Studies have actually shown that microplastics um, are already polluting our waterways, and I'm sure everyone mm-hmm. knows about this. Uh, a large part of it has to do with microbeads. You probably have heard about microbeads before. There's those things that they're crazy, crazy in the schoolyard. The kids make little bracelets out of them, aren't they? <laughs> no. no? So microbeads, um, they might be uh, what you really enjoyed when you are in the schoolyard, but microbeads are not that, Chris. They're really, really tiny polyethylene. And are present in many cosmetics, shower ah. gels, toothpastes. Uh, ma- um, the manufacturers put them in there because they have abrasive qualities. So if you need something that's got an exfoliant or, you know, a toothpaste that's going to be quite abrasive, they pack them full of these microbeads and then they just get washed down the drain and end up in our waterways. Um, and there's been quite a lot of research about these microbeads highlighting the toxicity, the effect on marine ecosystems on, on the whole. They find them in all marine ecosystems around the world now in varying concentrations. Um, and in, for example, a paper in Nature in 2013 showed that fish that are exposed to microplastics with chemical pollutants carried on them um, had higher rates of liver toxicity and um, pathology in general. I just like I, the fact that I had these things in toothpaste and they're basically the same thing as glitter. Why haven't we just had glitter in our toothpaste all this time? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, ban it now, but why have we missed out on having. We could have had sparkly smiles no, all think, these years. I think there has been glitter in toothpaste oh, really? before. I have these vague memories of some sort of. Of children's toothpaste. Of some right? sort of children's toothpaste yeah. with glitter in them. So I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know. That that's already been exploited by yeah, pretty sure yeah, some toothpaste company toothpaste at some stage. Um, so coming back to glitter, so we know glitter is a microplastic. We know how much glitter probably ends up being washed down the drain because let's face it, there is no other way to get rid of it. Um, and we know that once it is in the waterways, the chances are that it will start collecting toxic substances and possibly bioaccumulate. But unfortunately, people love glitter. It brings cheer and joy into our lives. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm suggesting that if you are going to go down the, the uh, glitter path for the next festival or craft project or for Christmas, then consider using an eco-biodegradable type of glitter, which what? does exist. What, 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 is, it, is it like made from unicorn poo or something? <laughs> yeah. How did you know, Chris? <laughs> They definitely do exist, unlike unicorn poo. Just look it up on the internet. I'm not going to give you names of companies or anything. Anyway, but that way you can feel sparkly on the inside, metaphorically, as well as the outside. 
Okay, and that is it for another sparkling, filthy, magical episode of Lost in Science. Uh, Lost in Science is, of course, recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Uh, we would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. You can find us on Twitter. We are Lost in Science 1. We are also on uh, your podcast servers. Uh, please give us a good rating and review to make us look good. Uh, you can find us on demand on the internet, or you can listen to us on on the radio the old-fashioned way but once again same time next week manisha claire Stu, and chris will get lost in science thanks for listening to a 3cr podcast 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.